And welcome back to Zoom with Zarni. I'm Dustin Zarni, and this is a uh, production again of uh, partnership with the United Democrats of Onondaga County. Uh, we're kind of changing up the way we're doing our Zoom with Zarnies uh, now. We're uh, uh, doing more interviews and taking questions from people offline uh, for these town halls. For the month of October, we're very busy and the schedule is shifting around for when we can uh, actually do these calls. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we've started to do that. I hope uh, you'll uh, bear, with, bear with us on this. And uh, today I'm very honored to have my assembly person uh, and a good friend of mine, Pam Hunter on uh, Zoom with Zarni. Pam, thank you so much for coming on uh, and uh, sharing some time with us today. Thank you. Always good to chat with an old friend. I've known you for so many years, so it's good to be able to, to be on and chit chat out of our houses. <laughs> and, and that's why we're doing this, because the way we politic now, the way we campaign is different. And, uh, uh, you know, I started this uh, during the height of the pandemic as a way to get people out there and talk. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just something that uh, we have to do. And I think this is something that we're going to be living with uh, yeah. for quite some time. But um, Pam, you were, when were you first elected to the assembly? The special election in 2015, taking uh, Sam Roberts seat. Um, and then I had to run again in 2016 and again in 2018. So I guess it's three sessions, five years. Um, so this would be the end of my third session. So, and you were on the Syracuse Common Council before. Uh, I was, I was on for three years, not consecutive years, but for three years. Right. And you were secretary of the county party before that. But what, what was your uh, private life before you got into public life? You were, uh, with the South, uh, it was the uh, community, the health center. Uh. Yes, yeah, I worked at the Syracuse Community Health Center for several years. I've worked for, you know, a couple of different not-for-profits and, you know, for-profit organizations since living uh, in Syracuse. And, you know, really I got into uh, politics um, by way of the 17th Board Democratic Committee, um, but really my segue um, came in um, from Van Robinson. It's a funny story, actually. Um, Van was one of the first people I actually met when I moved to Syracuse. And, you know, I, I said, I have time. My son was very small at the time. I said, you know, I have some time. I'd like to be able to volunteer, you know, integrate into the community. And he took me down. And that's when I met the folks at the NAACP, you know, and I started participating with them. And he said, well, you know, what about a political campaign? And at that time, he was on the city council. He wasn't council president. Um, he may have been a the was he a district counselor before he was a counselor at large? No, no, he was a counselor at large before he was common council president. He had a very long run on the council. Right, uh, it, it was on the council. He was on the council definitely way before, you know, council president. Um, but he said, well, how, why don't we think about going, you know, take a look at, you know, volunteering in politics. And he took me to Joan Christensen's campaign office which was on uh, East Genesee Street, um, in, but down by Azria's, the old, you know, Azria's. And interestingly enough, all these many years later, I am now in the assembly seat that the very first volunteering opportunity that I looked at um, when I moved to Syracuse was for Joan Christensen in her campaign office. That's, that's great. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's, uh, 
It's funny. I always say that Syracuse is one of the biggest small towns in America yeah. because everything connects. Uh, and um, you're uh, so you've uh, you know you also you know you started with Van Robinson and now one of Van Robinson's uh, big projects and lifelong projects is 81. And yeah. that is um, something that you've been an advocate for uh, in the assembly now. Um, I, I think people would like to know what, what what's going on with 81. It, it, do we know anything more? I mean, is COVID just kind of put a halt to a lot of the stuff that is, uh, you know, a lot of the discussions on this or? Well, I think COVID's put a halt on a lot of it because everything costs money. <laughs> there isn't any to really go around unless we get, you know, help from the federal government. Uh, you know, obviously there was many public hearings. The Department of Transportation sent the DEIS to the federal government. It was finally finished with the suggestion of the community grid. Um, and now we wait, you know, obviously the Federal Highway Administration has to take a look at it and they have to agree with the recommendation that came from the state and then more public, you know, information has to happen. Um, you know, obviously they're the ones footing 90% of the bill. So obviously they need to, you know, rubber stamp and make sure, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, obviously still people are advocating for whatever their stance is that they want. Um, you know, the biggest issue for me, obviously, I'm the only elected representative that touches every single segue point from uh, Onondaga County. So I represent the Onondaga Nation, I represent Nedro, I represent the South Side, I represent the East Side, DeWitt, Salina, all of those I, you know, represent. And everybody has different ideas about what, you know, needs to happen. Um, and so, you know, we want to make sure that we get it right. My biggest concern, obviously, is environmental justice. And I think we need to be actively having conversations about how that impacts all of the people along the way. So one of the things that you uh, have taken some time to talk about in, in past major legislation last year was something that was very personal to you. You're adopted. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I'm actually adopted uh, by my father, uh, and uh, um, and uh, uh, you passed a bill last year that gave uh, people who are adopted uh, uh, access to their birth records. And this was a kind of a, a long-awaited thing for people who are who were adopted to be able to get those records. Why did you take this on? Um, it, you know, it's interesting because I am the first co-sponsor of the bill. I'm actually not the sponsor. I didn't introduce it, but because it was so personal for me and I think, you know, because of the many conversations that I had about it, yeah, I was kind of the face of the piece of legislation, you know, um, uh, Assemblyman Weprin had tried to put it through for many years, different iterations. The one that actually had passed a few years ago, the governor vetoed um, because the advocates didn't like it because it was so restrictive and it had to go to surrogate court and you had to jump through hoops to get the information. And they're like, no, you shouldn't have to go through all of this. But really, you know, you're talking about two generations ago um, where there were still people in the assembly who've been there for a long time, you know, who were adamant that, you know, it was supposed to be private and this information isn't supposed to, you know, be had. And, you know, people are of a different mindset. I have had conversations from every part of the globe have sent me emails. Um, this woman wrote a book and she sent it to me about her adoption, um, you know, across the country saying, thank you so much. Now, you know, I'm going to be able to know who my, you know, parents are. I mean, even, 
in, and during COVID, it's been really bad because nobody's at work. So nobody at the State Department of Health or the city vital records is physically able to pull the records. So I have had people calling me all during COVID saying, I'm 80 years old and I want to know this information. And it's been six months and it was only supposed to be four to six weeks. And when am I going to know? I don't want to die, you know, before getting this information. And that's how critical you know, it's been during COVID, but you know, it, it, it's for people, however they take the information. You know, if you wanna go search and get the information, um, everybody's story isn't gonna be happy and jovial. You know, people may not get the welcoming response that maybe they want to receive, um, but at least you know the name and then you can go from there. And maybe there's medical information and more information to be able to help you. And I think, a lot of the information that we talked about during um, the passing and many people you know, spoke and I actually was the last person to speak and I didn't know if I was going to on the floor, which was interesting because I got a standing ovation you know, on the floor after I spoke and Mark Wiener sent me a text. He's like, of all the years I've ever covered you know, state, you know, except for you know, if somebody got you know, elected to Congress and people were, but never you know, during a bill, um, have I ever seen that before? And but with both, you know, Republicans and, and, and Democrats. Right. Um, but people want to know the health information. And we always talk about preventative health, like, oh, do you know your family's history? Is there a, you know, uh, cancer in your family? Is there heart disease in your family? And you're always saying, I don't know. You can't answer the question. You go to the doctor, you don't know. And we're always talking about preventative medicine but I can't have preventative medicine because I don't know what I'm trying to prevent because I don't know my family history. So that was like some of the conversation too. Yeah, it was an emotional time on the floor. I remember watching that and uh, I, uh, I remember all the news coverage around that. And uh, I, it was, uh, you're right. I mean, the, when you're adopted or even adopted on part of your family side, you just don't know what your family history is. You don't know what you're susceptible to. and in the age of COVID, what a uh, a bill that was, you know, before its time. I mean, really, I'm sure that the, this has helped out uh, a lot of people that were, uh, you know, that may be susceptible to respiratory disease or or have uh, a, you know, a, 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 um, a an underlying condition that would make uh, a comorbidity that would make uh, uh, COVID worse. So this bill is helping a great segment of the population. So. And the information is there. I mean, if you want it, you can ask for it. You don't have to, but at least right. the choice is yours now to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. And recently you've, uh, uh, you joined with Senator May and, and other uh, Central New York lawmakers in uh, making a push uh, for the governor uh, to, uh, uh, to suspend or to suspend suspensions of uh, driver's license mm -hmm. for, uh, for uh, unpaid fines, and what what was the reason behind that? What 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 were you, what were you trying to do there? So I actually am the sponsor of that bill in the right. assembly with uh, Senator Kennedy out of um, Buffalo, uh, and you know a lot of the bills that I introduce come by way of advocates and people coming into my office, you know, talking about specific you know, issues of concern, um, tenants' rights, you know, disability rights, environmental, you know, justice, you know, bills, a lot of them obviously have gotten traction and I have gotten passed. And, you know, finally, this fines and fees bill, uh, we were able to get passed in both houses this year and we're waiting for the governor to sign. You know, really, 
people shouldn't be making money off of all of this outstanding traffic debt and the amount and we saw this with the city of syracuse um where you know people had outstanding parking tickets and the the fines and fees and the penalties were three times more than the actual payment of the bill um you know i get interest in credit card rates but interestingly with all of those you can be on a payment plan and this affords a payment plan for someone to be able to pay back uh, their uh, fine and fee, um, not that they shouldn't take care of it. You get the ticket, you should pay for it, but you have an opportunity to, you know, be on a payment plan. And now more than ever, especially with COVID, um, you know, people being in the, the kicker, the penalty is having your driver's license suspended. Well, maybe if you got your driver's license suspended in New York City, it wouldn't be a problem because you have, you know, a swath of public transportation, you know, to be able to take, you know, different options. Here, you got Centro. And, you know, to go a couple miles might take you two hours and a couple of transfers and have to go to the hub. Uh, and really, you know, you're limiting the ability for people to get around for outstanding traffic debt. I mean, you can still get a judgment if you don't pay. You can still get points on your license if you don't pay. Um, you know, there's obviously, you, you don't appear. The judge could just say, nope, you know, you get all of the, the penalties associated, but at least it gives you a chance. I mean, having your driver's license suspended, and we're not talking about scoff laws like drunk driving. All of that is not included in this. We're talking about, you know, people who might get pulled over because their taillight was out. And then the next thing you know, it could be, um, you know, oh, you didn't have your registration or, you know, the, the things that happen when you get one stop and you get three tickets yeah. and then all of a sudden you're $500, that could be a million. If you don't have 10, you don't have 500 and you definitely can't afford, you know, to pay that. And, and it affects primarily the impoverished and, and mostly people of color. You're on with Zoom with Zarni. Uh, we're talking to Assemblywoman Pam Hunter of the 128th Assembly District. Uh, Pam, you uh, have uh, several different roles. You're uh, a state committee member, as well as the chair of the Onondaga County Democratic Committee, and congratulations on your reelection recently. And as a statewide leader, um, I imagine what's going on in our country today is of the foremost uh, of your thoughts. And uh, we just had uh, a vice presidential debate last night. And um, as we're recording this, uh, Trump is saying he's canceling the next debate and not know knowing whether he's going to show up. He doesn't what? want to be able to not stalk. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> he wants right. to be able to stand and move. And you know, you, when you're like on virtual, you know, they could mute. Yeah. And then, you know, stop the talking. He said he didn't want to do, you know, virtual. I, I think it's awesome, though. I just it couldn't be more heart happy to see, you know, Kamala as the, the vice president pick. She was amazing last night. And I think she showed why um, so many uh, had hopes for her uh, early on in the campaign and uh, still have hopes for her. I mean, she's a prosecutor and she's shown her uh, her medal. Uh, it's got to be good to see someone of her, her of her stature getting the credit and getting the a chance to be on the national stage. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, all the conversations of if you can see it, you know, you can be it. It's it's real. And we saw that obviously with President Obama, you know, it shouldn't have to be a one off like you can be Tiger Woods. I'm, you know, Tiger Woods or be like Mike, you know, you shouldn't have to be an athlete. It should be, 
you know, it shouldn't be a one-off of Thurgood, you know, Marshall, all these, you know, years ago. It shouldn't have to be that, you know, we're still in 2020 talking about first. I mean, I'm the only Central New York representative of color, you know, at statewide level. How is that possible? You know, and if you're talking about even going from Albany to Buffalo, there's one in every, <laughs> there's one in every city. There's me and there's one in Rochester and one, you know, in Buffalo. And we have to be able to do better than that. We have to be able to, you know, broaden and, you know, incorporate the diversity that is rich in this country. And it is a very, very scary time. I know just talking with my colleagues and, you know, it's a little bit different in New York City than it is here, but, you know, people are, are scared and they rightfully so. It's exhausting, you know, constantly, you know, having these, um, you know, looking over your shoulder because all of the race issues that are happening and a lot of it obviously is being promoted, you know, at the national level. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about from state party politics down to local politics, the even elected office, I mean, these are the conversations that make people uncomfortable, but they're real. And, you know, people like myself live it every single day. And, you know, for people who are like, oh, I'm sick and tired of seeing the protests or tired of, well, you know, people are tired of being killed. And so, you know, I think it's just um, bubbled up to a head, similar to what happened in civil rights, you know, time, similar to what happened, you know, in the civil war, but enough is enough. People just, it's, it's too much. It's really just too much for people to have to handle too much. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously it's, on, it should never go without saying that Black Lives Matter and, and that, uh, you know, representation matters and trying to make sure that, uh, the you know, the, and, it, and, it, and it's frustrating to see that it's, sometimes it seems like it's just one side that is making the effort to, um, to you know, make the hires that are necessary to make it uh, important. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be that way. There, th this polarization that has happened um, amongst the African-American community that are the backbone of the Democratic Party has happened because they've had no choice. They, they have nothing on the other side that, it, that is um, helping them uh, or they feel is helping them. And that's why their hopes are resting on our party. And that kind of, uh, you know, puts a, a lot of pressure on us to deliver. You know, it, it's unfortunate because it's like, if you feel from an ancestral point of view that you're talking about building a country, you know, that you were the, the free labor that built the country, you know, you were the backs and birthed the people who, you know, the ones who built up this country. And, you know, we're having the conversations now um, where you're just like, how come we're not, you know, being able to, you know, get ahead? And it shouldn't have to be, you know, I have to, you know, I had one of those yesterday <laughs> when I was on with the Public Service Commission. Yeah. I'm like, my dog yeah. doesn't like the rate increase from National Grid either as he's like yeah. barking and talking. Yeah, three, I have three dogs and uh one, one puppy and two old girls and they uh sometimes they uh argue <laughs> but that's, that's okay i get it that's what with us we're working from home life happens but you know we're just to the point where you know folks have been going through this historical discrimination you know just for so long 
And it is tiring, you know, you shouldn't have to explain what you're saying hurts me, what you're saying offends me, what you're doing, you know, is discriminatory, is it inherent, is it blatant? And it's like, and you know, blacks are like in droves, vote down, and that yet and still, we're still in this position. So you're like, well, I know it wouldn't have been any better if we had, you know, voted for the Republicans, but I'm just saying history has just shown you come to us to ask for us for the votes, we deliver for you, and yet and still, I am in a place where I'm having to hold a press conference this past summer, this Let Us Breathe press conference, because George Floyd happened, Breonna Taylor happened, you know, X, Y, Z, say all of their names happen, and it's just too much. It is just too much. I, uh, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that you are uh, the chair of the Onondaga County Democratic Committee, uh, as well as being uh, assembly person. Um, and, uh, you know, Onondaga County is becoming more and more of a blue county. I've been talking about the registration now for yep. quite some time, and we had some really good gains last year. Um, uh, you want to talk about, you know, where o OCDC is planning on going and maybe what the races are you looking at this year that uh, you think we can make some gains in? You know, it's interesting because I think for people who don't get out of the bubble <laughs> that is Syracuse and maybe because of COVID or maybe just because everything is just so overwhelming with what we're doing here, it's not like the growing pains that we go through and that we've been, you know, living with since 2016 is the same throughout the whole entire state. I mean, um, from county party to the state party, the conversations are happening all, you know, over the place. And I think all of those are very uh, important. I think that, you know, you have lots of different perspectives. And I think at the end of the day, you're just talking about having democratic wins. You know, obviously I'm a Democrat, you know, I'm an assembly member that's a Democrat and you know, lifelong Democrat. Parents were avid Democrats, civil rights activists. And, you know, we're talking about now getting more Democrats elected. I think, you know, the work that you're doing as far as the fair maps is very important because gerrymandering, how can you have uh, a majority of registered Democrats in a county and have a majority of the, the, the county legislature is Republicans. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but as we see, you know, we hit it really hard last year. Uh, we made great strides. We broke the supermajority. We won in towns like we've never had before. You know, we've seen, um, you know, different towns that had been, you know, red, you know, and Republican that did definitely the enrollment is increasing. And so I, I see that continuing. I think I, I, see that the folks who are running are doing so not that Republicans aren't nice and that they're not good people and you know that they that some of their strategies they think you know are going to be helpful but we're talking about you know a place where we live live that has generational poverty that we have rural urban suburban we have a lot of issues that need to be you know addressed so I think um you know, as we're having conversations about where do we go from here, it's about identifying strong candidates um, to get us there. And, you know, I think the days of um, single candidates and not having primaries, you know, are over. I think that, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is our designated candidate and we're just not gonna, you know, have primaries. We see that across the country. That is not the case. It's just not the case. It's gonna continue to happen. And, but that's what democracy looks like. But I definitely am, you know, looking forward to next year being able to take that county ledge. If there ever be a time 
it is now. We had a great, you know, opportunity. We had great momentum. You know, last year we raised a good chunk of money. We, you know, got people over the hump. And, you know, the strategy for, for next year, for 2021 is, you know, the same. You identify the seeds, you get the strong candidates, um, and you get in there. Because remember, you know, a lot of times people think, what does the county ledge do? And I think because there's so many levels of government, people don't understand, but the county budget, you know, is responsible for like all of the social services. Yes, they get money, you know, passed through from the state and federal government. But, you know, if you're wanting to talk about housing, how people are treated, you know, um, the, the programs where people get food and, and shelter, that all comes from the county. And we need to be having a more broader conversation. And I think the candidates that are interested in running um, definitely are going to be talking about that. And we're looking to hit that very, very hard uh, next year. If there be anything, it'd be the county ledge next year. Yeah, last year we won countywide with uh, uh, controller. We've won countywide with judge races. We've won countywide with um, you know uh, governor. Every statewide race has always gone county. Every presidential race has always been gone blue countywide. And I think we're starting to see this growth in the suburbs uh, that we see nationwide. Um, and it's uh, you know and that you know Manlius and Pompey are, are incredible success stories for Democrats and two different styles of Democrats. You have your more moderate Democrats in Pompey that worked with the, you know, former Republicans and Republicans to sw switch that town. And then a, an amazing flip in Manlius as well. It's it, a long time, it, when I was growing up, Manlius was the reddest of red. And uh, uh, now it's one of the bluest towns that we have. And uh, I do think that, um, you know, we can capitalize on that and should. Uh, but. And they, I think, you know, it's just like the pockets. It's interesting because, you know, it, people think, you know, the town of Banlius and you have like Fayetteville and, you yeah. know, the Manoa area. And if it's, you know, it's the rationale goes back to again, how can it be so blue and have a Republican county legislature, you know, a, a legislator? And, you know, because there are those pockets and those pockets, you know, are the ones that seemingly come out and vote to keep, you know, these folks. I know the margins are getting a little bit closer, but, you know, you're like, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. You know, even in Salina, you know, in some of the cases too, wondering how do those, some of those, you know, uh, town council members, how do we not, you know, pick up a few more of those, especially with the enrollment in Salina? So, and I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, kind of an awakening that Democrats are having to local government matters. And, um, you know, it's going to be incumbent on the campaigns and us as a party structure to reactivate some of the people that are coming out this year into next year's uh, and making sure they know that you can't just take four more years off. We, we need right. to now. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. Um, yeah. So, but let's talk about this. the long haul. You know, it is talking about, especially, you know, some of the new candidates who ran um, last year, you know, it's like great. It's like you always want people to participate, actively participate. And um, every story is not going to be an AOC story, though. And I think that there is, you know, a way in which, you know, she burned out her shoes. You know, it takes the work, you know, that it takes in order to get that done. You know, obviously Crowley was asleep at the, the wheel, you know, and deservedly he lost because he didn't do the work and he didn't know what was going on in his, in his district. 
Um, but it takes a lot of work. And especially, you know, in a place where uh, geography is spread out, you know, especially in some of those towns, the houses aren't right on next to each other. Um, and being an active participant in your community, I think is important. When you're running and nobody knows your name, it is definitely more difficult. Yeah, you gotta take more than one bite of the apple. I mean, yeah. that's, that. I mean, um, you can't uh, just uh, uh, think that if you lose once it's done because these races are changing, our, 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 our neighborhoods are changing. Yeah. But speaking of changing, I think, you know, we have some great opportunities this year as well yep. And, yep. Uh, and and we have one of the top congressional districts in the country right in our backyard and uh how you know how is ocdc working with the balter campaign how how are we going to make sure that we flip this district you know it's interesting because every time we're like oh we're so close and you thought you know thought like 2016 is like oh, that was going to be a gimme you know if yeah. if, if if Hillary won, there should be no reason why, you know, our congressional candidate couldn't win. It's like, we live in this wonky place, you know, where just for some reason, you know, we just can't get out of our own way. You just can't get out of our own way. Um, the Balter campaign is doing a phenomenal job. They have, you know, the phone banking and it's like campaigning in the time of COVID has been very interesting because you have to be able to be nimble and a lot of uh the stuff because we do have an open headquarters you know we're able to help facilitate for them out of our headquarters that's open because they don't have one um so joel is doing a great job you know helping them you know lawn signs are phenomenal it's amazing how they're selling you know like hot case but we facilitate their sales of the lawn signs for them down at ocdc and i guess they're doing the t-shirt sales as well down there too but we have a call to all of our committee members um i've i've spread the call you know multiple times you know to the chairs in order to get to the committee members and you know some of them are actively you know volunteering for the balter campaign and or are actively volunteering for like dia or for uh john Mannion. it includes the additional calls as well so you know as long as they're on a campaign helps roll up up and down the ticket it is just very important and you know for people who are like i like door to door that's not going to be happening it's all you know being able to host you know virtual phone and you know people are doing a lot of the phone banking um and it's just getting to as much people as possible and following up especially with these absentees is going to be crucial once they get out the door, making sure, did you mail it back in? You know, calling the people, did you, did you get your ballot? Did you mail it in? Um, I think that's going to be like our biggest push is making sure that the voters are voting. Yeah, I, I want to get to the transformation that we've had in our New York electoral system, thanks to a united democratic government uh, in, in a little bit. But, you know, the, you, you touched on a couple of the other races that I, I think sometimes gets lost in the the Dana Balter race, which is obviously foremost and rightfully so, but we have an incredible opportunity with Mannion for Senate. Uh, and I think we have an incredible opportunity for Dia uh, Carabal in the one in the 126. 
And we also have to protect Al Skirpy in the 127th. And of course, yourself and Bill Magnarelli as well. Thank you. Tosh uh, is running, obviously, too, out there against Will Barkley. And, yeah. you know, some of those seats are going to be challenging. Um, but, you know, we can't, you can't sleep. You just can't. You just can't. And I know that, you know, the folks out there are pushing really hard for Dia. You know, I know Finch had that seat for a really long time. If you take it, you can get it. You can keep it. You just have to get it that first time. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're struggling, you know, and fighting for now. And I know Vanessa out there in, in Cicero and Clay, you know, I know lawn signs don't vote, but they've got an awful lot of them out there, you know, out in those outer suburbs. And unfortunately, that was where, you know, Catco did very well out there in Cicero and Clay. So, yeah, and Cicero is probably the one area of the, the county that's not going as blue as, as some of the other suburban towns. Um, so, yeah, that's a tough race out there. But we also got a couple of family court judges candidates too uh those are awesome we should be able to knock this down and rory you know for supreme yep. court if there this is going to be a, a you know a phenomenal year and to me it's not talking about like having a blue wave it's talking about having the right candidates at the right time with the right, right momentum and we just happen to have somebody at the top who's just in some ways making it easier for our candidates so i mean but we can't sleep on that you can't sleep on we did that in 2016 thinking that you know oh this was a shoe win and the, she was well ahead in the polls and we got our steamrolled so we can't sleep there's no rest in, until november 4th no rest uh, and no rest for you until well after that i'll be i'll be uh, here till thanksgiving uh and that's because of the changes in election law and i i was really uh um i i, I was i used to say that you know, election law changed at a glacial pace, but it became a flood in 2019, and even more so during COVID this year, where we were really escalating um, the way and making it easier for people to vote. Um, we, you know, that, and I, I guess that's kind of a microcosm of uh, how divided government in New York was putting us back for a little while, but now uh, with people working together, we're, we're seeing these legislative changes and uh, it's for the better of the voters. Uh, you want to talk anything about, you know, how the party and campaigns are adapting to the expanded absentees and early voting um, and, uh, you know, and, and what, uh, why you think this is, you know, good for the voters? Because I know you've been an advocate. You know, it's amazing. If you make it easy, people will get it done. We saw that for the primary, you know, when everyone could get, you know, an absentee ballot if they, you know, requested one and look at the high rate of, you know, people who voted in a primary. It's like record high rates. You know, it's it, it's not difficult. If, if you give people an easy opportunity and that whole line of, well, you have from six in the morning till, you know, nine o'clock at night or whatever there should be no reason you know that's plenty enough time to stop it life happens you know we need to be able and i say this almost every day to be able to be nimble but when COVID happened and even last year you know when we had changed um and then we had truncated the amount of uh, signatures that were required and then COVID happened again and people couldn't get out there and walk i mean you have to be able to adjust to what is going on and not adjust and make it more difficult where people are standing outside for hours and hours you know trying to vote making it easier i mean that's what democracy is supposed to be like it's supposed to look like giving everyone an opportunity to vote and then, you know, moving forward after the votes are cast. And I think, 
all of the bills that we passed, you know, were exemplary. We should have been able to do them sooner. And I know that we're not done and it shouldn't be done. We should definitely make it much, much more uh, easy for people to, to be able to vote. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's amazing because we're, we're in this bubble in New York and we always think uh, elections uh, that happen here happen this way everywhere. And now it's it's funny because I, you read the, the stories talking about how early voting has been happening for several weeks in some of these other states, but our early voting doesn't start until October 24th, yet some thought, oh my God, that's too much time for early voting. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're really, we're not even close to what other states do. Um, and, I, and I'm fine with dipping our toe into it and expanding it and, and working with it, especially, uh, you know, this year, but we're, um, you know, for years, the Republicans in the Senate were talking about, oh, they would love no excuse absentees instead of early voting, and yet they would never pass the bill. And then it took the Democrats passing the constitutional change last year. And this year, in the middle of a crisis, it was the Democrats that passed the bill to allow for this expanded absentees, and they were against it. Yeah. And I don't understand. Well, that's not any different than signing a piece of paper saying I support, you know, independent redistricting and then turning around and saying, you know, this is flawed and I'm not going to do it. I mean, but look at the strategy that comes from the top and they were doing this well before Trump, you know, I mean, that strategy is just, you know, say whatever to get reelected and then deny, deny, deny. And that was a... That wasn't really real. And, you know, there's always the spin. Well, I did, you know, um, support, we did put forward something, you know, with absentee or with, uh, you know, redistricting for the, for the repubs and the, the county ledge. And this is just, that's just the playbook. That's what they do. But that's not helping people vote more easily. And who knows how long COVID is going to last. I mean, we are hey. going to be in the next spring doing uh, designations and carrying petitions again during winter. And I can't imagine this being gone before then. No, I mean, that's what I, unfortunately, my staff is looking forward to the end of this year thinking, oh, well, this is a one-time thing. And I keep telling them, I think this is here to stay. I, think uh, this I don't is know what's going to happen with the petitions, especially if yeah. COVID resurgence. And we've seen in the past two weeks, I mean, I was with the SU chancellor, what was it, yesterday, the day before, and they had that cluster. I mean, you know, people are becoming complacent and they're tired and they want to come. Hey, I get it. I get it. I want to see people too. But when we're talking about next year, March, and we haven't even like fully opened up, this year we had the opportunity. I think there was like, I don't know, three weeks time that people could have collected their signature before they shut it down. I don't know what's going to happen if you get it's not even open to collect the signatures. Right. You know that's how people get on the ballot. So those are going to be conversations we're going to have to have. Well, petition reform is a conversation that uh, you know I know a lot of people have been advocates for. Uh, you know, Bill Magnarelli had a bill for a while. Even John, uh, you know, D. Francisco was a co-sponsor you know, of that bill, and we couldn't get some people to understand that there are different ways to get ballot access. Other states do it differently. Maybe mm -hmm. we should think about it too, and not. I think COVID's going to force, force that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Pam, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, you, but I, you did. You know, when we're talking about winter coming, um, you recently were uh, calling on National Grid to stop their rate hikes uh, that are <laughs> that are going on in the middle of a downturn in economic downturn and. You know, we live in Syracuse. We're proud of our winners. It's coming. 
we're all going to be stuck indoors again. And I, yeah. I think that is going to have consequences with the COVID, but it's also going to have consequences with people out of work. They're not able to pay their uh, their heat bills. Well, in their home, so they're all automatically using more electricity anyway. Yeah. Even if they haven't even turned the heat on yet. I have to imagine people's electric bill since they've been home since March. You know, it's not just turn off the light if you're not in the room. You're in the room all day long. You know, so I mean, the lights are on, and now it gets darker sooner. So obviously, the lights are going to be on. You know, more frequently. Uh, National Grid requested a, a rate increase from the Public Service Commission. They got one a few years ago. Now they're asking for one again. Obviously, um, you know, I'm on the Energy Committee, so you know we're having this conversation a lot. But you know, nukes are bad now. Remember, nukes were good. Now nukes are bad. And fossil fuel was good. Now fossil fuel is bad. Well. Um, not, you know, here to debate any of that because I a thousand percent agree we need to go to renewable, but we need to be able to have a plan in place. And what the plan was, was that fossil fuel was supposed to supplant the nuclear, you know, energy that went down. Well, that takes uh, more infrastructure. And so that was supposed to have been the rate, rate increase that went before. And so you're talking about pipelines, you're talking about more ways to get um, energy down to like New York City and other places. And you know, you need to be able to deliver um, and infrastructure costs money. We know water main breaks, you know, happen in Syracuse, we need new roads that all cost money. And so essentially, they're coming to the ratepayer, us, they're coming to the consumer and saying, you know, can you just all each of you pay just a a little bit more so that we can, you know, get this infrastructure operational cost done. And, um, you know, in the, the time where obviously we're in a fiscal crisis like, you know, none other. And even though the rate increase is supposed to start next year, well, people are unable to pay their bills today. So what happens if everything gets back to normal and finally you're able to dig your way out into next year? Oh, here, here's some more, you know, on top of your bill when you're just trying to get yourself situated, maybe um, you're adding to the bill. And I also made mention to the Public Service Commission during the hearing, you know, our own Onondaga County Legislature just passed, you know, an energy tax that was on our bill already. So now we're paying more because of the county legislator, you know, passing this energy tax. And now we're going to be, you know, asked to pay again. And for the people who can't, it's just too much. It's, it's just too much. It's inconceivable. And I know National Grid said that they have some plan in place. So if people can't pay, you know, that they have some fund to be able to help. I can't imagine that fun is in the multi-millions and is able to cover, and especially what happens if heat doesn't come through, you know, because of what's going on with the federal government. So it's going to be a problem. Well, and I thought it was important to speak up for our, our constituents. That segue leads me into the last question there, and because I was going to talk to you about the New York State budget um, issues <laughs> caused by COVID and the I, I've been very clear that I feel like it's an abdication of leadership and responsibility by the federal government. Uh, you know, and they claim it's this blue state problem and they don't realize that it's, you know, Republican counties, even in these blue states that are gonna get hurt. But it's, you know, every state is, is hurting and, you know, and the only place that can help is the federal government and they've just decided they're not even gonna bother to try. Uh, how is that going to affect us? That's going to bad. And yeah. if you're talking about, well, give me an example of how it can be bad. Well, I'll tell you. If you go down to the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot down there off of Gaddis, you will see needles in the parking lot 
um, from drug users. And there is not a lot of pickups of the needles now because the not-for-profits that we love don't have, aren't getting the funding from the state um, in order to be able to pay uh, these not-for-profits in order to continue the services that we need in our communities. So imagine the literacy, you know, council not getting money to help people learn basic necessity and how to read in order to, you know, go through the educational system or the cuts that are gonna come to our own education system. So who, who should get the cut first? Your, you know, uh, Board of Elections budget? Should it be the school district? I don't know. Should it be a hospital? Should it be spin the wheel and pick a not-for-profit who doesn't get, you know, the money? And that's where we're at right now. And, you know, I have these not-for-profits and businesses calling me every single day saying our doors will not be open past XYZ date if we don't get, you know, the money from the state. And the state is basically saying we are $14 billion in deficit if we don't get money from the feds. You can't give what you don't have. Yeah. It's, uh, it's as dire a situation as we've ever lived through, uh, you know, fiscally, not let alone the thousands of people, 210,000 people that have now died from this nationwide. And, um, you know, I think Kamala Harris said it best last night when she said it was the greatest lack of leadership uh, in American history and we're paying the price. Um, so people are going to be evicted, not-for-profits not able to provide, you know, services, unemployment, you know, COVID showed us where we have weaknesses, you know, people weren't getting paid their unemployment for months, you know, not to imagine not getting paid for months and it's but, for money that you're owed and <laughs> you can't, and you can't get the money. Um, we had a, a lot of a work to do and not a very uh, good amount of time to get there, unfortunately, because people have needs now. Well, Pam, um, we're going to end this soon, but what, what last thing would you like uh, the people listening or watching to know? How, what, what haven't we covered tonight that uh, uh, you'd like to uh, um, make sure, sure people know about either your record or Democrats uh, in Onondaga County, whatever you'd like? Um, I think uh, a lot of people know about my record, you know, obviously I go really hard on my legislation. I have a record number of uh, pieces of legislation being passed for being in the assembly for such a short period of time. I mean, I get it done. I put in the work, um, obviously in the bills that I am able to pass, um, you know, are bills, not just like the extending the blue herring bill, you know, but being able to bring meaningful legislation back that helps people in our district today. And so, you know, I'm very proud of that. You know, the people elected me to go hard for them and, you know, to make sure that um, I'm putting forth and bringing resources back and putting forth legislation that's going to be meaningful uh, for the people who live here. And I just, you know, as want to say, as far as like a Democrat, I mean, I'm never one of those, you know, people, and I've been very true about this as far as like labeling and people, you know, are like, are you a moderate? Are you a left? Are you a liberal? Are you right? You know, what is that? Um, to me, I'm a Democrat. I have a D in front of my name. I always have. And to me, I don't out Democrat a Democrat, you know, just to me, I just would like to, you know, implore folks that we get there together. I say that to my staff all the time, we'll either succeed together or fail together. You know, it's a we, not an I. Um, and it's essentially, we all want the, the same thing. We just want to go about it, you know, in a different way. Um, and I think now COVID has shown us that we need to be um, 
able to have those spaces of conversation to be able to open the dialogue to move forward. Um, because there's a lot at stake. Our democracy is at stake. President Obama said that our democracy is at stake. Livelihood is at stake. People's lives are at stake. And so I think, you know, we need to move forward instead of looking at, you know, how can we be combative because I'm more right than somebody else is right, is how can we, you know, move together, work together in order to at the end of the day, you know, as a Democrat, getting more Democrats elected, but really doing the right thing to help the most amount of people. Um, and that's what it's supposed to be, you know, that golden rule, you know, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and hopefully we'll be able to see more of that. All right, Pam, well, uh, we're going to wrap up. But before we do, tell people where they can go to find you, find your campaign, find Onondaga Democrats and see where they can go to help this year. Yep. So, um, many different things. If you're looking for me as an assembly member, you can go to the New York State Assembly and look up my name, put in your address, you know, make sure I'm your assembly person. Uh, you can obviously call my office, 315-449-9536. Um, I have a Facebook page as well, um, Pamela uh, Hunter of Assembly 128. Um, I also have an Instagram, Pamela Hunter 128. I have Twitter with the same, you know, name as well. We actively post on social media. Um, the same thing with the Onondaga County Democrats. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have a website as well. Um, Joel is down there from 10 to 5 every single day. You know, Joel is the hardest working executive director we've ever had. He's amazing. Ever. He is phenomenal knocking down he is the the broker of lawn signs let me tell you <laughs> it's been a wonderful thing um but there's always a way to find me and whether it's me or my staff in my assembly office or you know especially joel at ocdc you know we're all just really here to help uh however we can well thank you again uh for joining us uh and uh, uh be safe thank you for your leadership and uh i look forward to uh eventually talking about victories this fall <laughs> around around thanksgiving you'll know better than us with the time frame you know from that obviously but you know you be well and be careful you know obviously um it's a long haul and it, you know not just covid but just being extra good to take care of yourself because 12 hours a day is a lot and it's very taxing you know and you have a long way to go till the you know election count is yeah. over so just take good care of yourself well we got great staff down there we're all working really they hard together and uh, all right well thank you very much and next week i will have on assemblyman bill magnarelli who oh. will uh be talking to us uh about his stay in albany and, uh, and his run for re-election and uh uh and, uh and then this weekend uh i'll continue my supreme court uh, discussion with Liza Abraham of the New York Democratic Lawyers Council. So that'll be airing on Sunday. And of course, Commissioner in a car on Tuesday, although I'm in a rental car or my wife's car right oh now. But it's horrible. I saw that. Oh my goodness. It's okay. Uh, any, any, anything you can walk away from is, is good. So, uh, um, but, and thank you very much, Pam. Thank you very much to all of you watching. And please share so everybody can see this because we are, that's how we're campaigning now. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.